Hey folks, Zach Osmond, Iowa Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Sunday, September 25th, 2022. He is Dustin DePerak, IU Insider, Bloomington General Times. Dustin, there is a chill in the air. There is. Oh, it's a real thing. It is football. It is truly football season. Uh, Maybe nothing counts until now. Maybe that's why IU fans are so angry about what happened on Saturday. Because nothing in this season actually counted until it felt like fall. Indiana loses... uh, 45 to 24, if I'm not mistaken, to Cincinnati. Um, There's a couple ways to see this, I I think, just kind of digesting it today. And I haven't had time to watch really back because I've been chasing my sons around most of the day. Um, But on the one hand, you can absolutely see this as an extension of some of Indiana's issues that there's, there's a lack of competitiveness or not competitiveness, consistency, um, particularly on offense. I think though, I think perhaps in some, in some aspects, more worryingly on defense, Mm -hmm. Um, just a feeling that some of the things that we thought again, particularly defensively would be, you know, sort of return to second nature for Indiana have not frankly, um, and, and Indiana has been really stop start and, and kind of hot cold because of it. I think you can and should be allowed also to look at this game through the lens of basically the idea that Indiana melted for about four and a half minutes at the end of the first half. And other than that, I'm not saying they should have won the game, but other than that, they were actually fairly competitive with what's probably a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, you know, they weren't amazing. They struggled at times to move the ball. Even some of their scoring drives felt a little bit like a chore, but that's sort of what Cincinnati is built to do to you. And Indiana really did for a lot of the second half what it did through most of the first half of this game a year ago, which is just really just, you know, after being really, really bad at the end of the first half, shutting down Cincinnati basically everywhere uh offensively in the second half ultimately they lose the game i understand why people are frustrated as i think we both said post game saturday night this was not a game indiana had to win this was not a game indiana was even really remotely expected to win you're allowed to be frustrated or concerned again about these inconsistencies i think in particular as indiana moves forward as long as you recognize that indiana did have some good stretches in this game and also that ultimately the teams that indiana needs to beat for this to be a successful season are not as good as the one they lost to on Saturday. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I mean, I, I think once you kind of set Indiana's ceiling at, you know, if, if you saw Indiana's ceiling at eight win, as eight wins or nine wins, this is a game they had to win. I certainly did not set the ceiling that high for where I expected them to be. Uh, and so by that rationale, it's like, I, I, you know, I am not surprised to see them lose this game at all one bit. Uh, they were obviously, I think, 16 and a half, 17 point dogs. So, you know, they went on the road and they lost by 21. That's about what you would expect. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 you know, obviously everything you, you said is true. There, there there were some good stretches, I think. You know, I mean, if, if it doesn't really matter. It, it's not going to make everybody anybody happy at all. But I mean, like, they're at least not the non-competitive outfit they were at the end of last season. You know, that they are better than the, you know, late October, November version of of Indiana football from 2021. Um, So that's something there were, you know, they they were able to make an adjustment and make a difference. That's something, uh, you know, to say, okay, they were obviously they they went gung ho after the run in the first half, uh, were able to really snuff that out. But 
really kind of overcommitted to it, uh, basically put, to, I think, too many people on islands, too many people in one-on-one situations, uh, and got burned out of that, gave up a bunch of big plays, decided not to do that in the second half, used a lot more sort of back-end help, um, were willing to give up a little bit more on the ground, and you know, then, then took the big plays away, uh, basically. I think it, it says something, I think they gave up maybe six passes of greater than 20 yards. In the first half, they didn't give up anything longer than 13 in the second, and I think they only gave up one pass that was longer than six. So there's at least an adjustment there. I mean, there's little pieces that you can look at and say, okay, well, that's something, or that's something, or that's something. Um, but again, to your point, um, you know, it, it is, you know, when you're giving up those big plays, it's still some of their best players losing in one-on-one coverage. Um, and, you know, they are, they, they could have had a competitive football game on their hands if they don't have a strip sack fumble touchdown, uh, you know, late in the first half that makes it a four score game as opposed to a three score game. Um, and, you know, that is again on the offensive line and, you know, a uh, division two transfer that has to start at right tackle uh, because Matthew Bedford's out. And so, you know, Parker's obviously Parker is a guy that's had a lot of success at his level and um you know gave up a sack and just didn't seem to respond to that fact quickly enough to notice that the football was on the ground um and then you're down four scores and so i think that's you know that there are enough things that are alarming that i get why indiana fans are where they are but yeah in the same fashion you know this is where you expect them to be three and one right now and they're three and one so i mean i don't think the the uh sky is any more falling uh this week than it was last week and I think there's, I mean, listen, I think there's always, you always have to sort of divorce what people, number one, we, we always have to acknowledge that social media is is the minority, not the majority. Second of all, we have to acknowledge that what happens on social media during a game when everybody's frustrated as opposed to when everybody looks at it in the cold light of day, 24 to 48 hours later, it's different. But, uh, you know, I, I would sort of point out to some extent that if you compare where Indiana was this year to where Indiana was last year, basically the difference is instead of getting blown out by a good Iowa team on the road, they found a way to beat an average to, you know, mediocre Illinois team at home. And that's pretty much it. And and they're getting better quarterback play. And people are very frustrated about Connor Bazelak. And I'm not saying he's been perfect, but he's certainly better than what they were getting at quarterback a year ago. There, there was, he is giving this offense a route forward. Well, by the way, leading the nation in attempts per game, um, which is a little bit skewed by the fact that Indiana attempted 66 passes or Bazelak um, set a, a single game school record with 66 pass attempts on Saturday. But to your point about the, the sky falling, not falling. Uh, I don't even think it's necessarily that people can't accept that Cincinnati's good. Like, I think people recognize that. I just yeah, think not at all. I think they do. Know that. I, I think there's just sort of, I think Indiana fans are a little bit without wanting to get existential this early in the podcast, trying to figure out like, just like where, like, like a sort of, sort of like what's the, like, what is the, what is the reasonable year to year ceiling for their program? Because, you know, the last time they saw Indiana good, Indiana was really, really good. And that wasn't that long ago. You know, a fair number of these players were still on the field in Indiana uniforms at that time. You know, that was probably sort of maxing out every opportunity and every available, you know, you know, uh, good break or whatever you want to say. But what is, you know, I mean, like, I think I remarked to you either last week or, maybe on Saturday, like this team is 
at least as good as the 2016 team that went to the Foster Farms Bowl. I'm, I'm confident in that. Like I'm, I'm, I feel confident in saying that. And that's not knocking that team. To be really clear, that was a it was a perfectly decent football team. Um, so is this one, I think. Now, it's going to matter a lot more when we see this team against the teams it needs to beat, one of whom it plays this weekend. But it's still just – I guess I was surprised at the – the extent to which there there was sort of this this backlash of Indiana doesn't know what it's doing because Indiana was struggling in a game it was kind of expected to struggle in. And again, we can talk about the, you know, I, I mean, I think I wrote about the offense on Saturday and, and what, you know, what I ask myself sometimes is like, the sign of a good offense to me is that if you watch it enough, you're able to know like what it, not just what it does well, but how it does it well. And like what, you know, what an offense is going to run on third and two or second and seven, how an offense is going to get into manageable down and distance situations. What I think the way I described it on Saturday is like what the ideal touchdown drive looks like. And I still don't really know that. Like it, it, it doesn't, there are some really good individual bits and pieces here. Cam Camper, you know, we'll see about DJ Matthews health, but DJ Matthews, AJ Barner's made some nice plays. Anderson Kobe obviously had a touchdown catch against Western Kentucky. Donovan McCulley continues to come along, et cetera. The running backs at least seem to be getting a little bit more comfortable, if not necessarily enormously more productive. Uh, but Sean Shivers did have that long run for a touchdown on Saturday. So, you know, you have to point that out. But it, I, I don't I don't see it joining up. Like I don't I don't see it all connecting together in a way that sort of makes sense, you know, step one through step 12 if you understand what I mean, drive after drive. But Cincinnati will do that to you a little bit. You know, that, that's that's kind of the point. That's why they're so good. And that's why I was sort of surprised at, I guess, just the the extent of the vitriol. And and really more than anything, I guess, the lack of patience with this team. That That's what it seemed like to me, is that the, the minute things start to go wrong, everyone assumes that they – have gone wrong and essentially it's over. Um, this team's proved them wrong a couple times now. It didn't on Saturday. It probably, you know, under most, if we play, they play that game a hundred times, they probably don't most of the time. What's going to matter more is, and we said this so many times, whether they can draw on whatever they got out of, Illinois, Idaho, Western Kentucky, and even Cincinnati to some extent to start to win games like Nebraska and Maryland and Rutgers. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one thing the frustration comes comes from is it goes back to something you said several times on this podcast is quoting Kevin Wilson as saying your offense is, is what you can block. And I think this the, the fan base generally feels like it is. I identified the problem and the, the, the problem is the offensive line. Um, and they would like to see that addressed and they would like to see that addressed with somebody getting fired um, because they feel like it's been the issue for long enough and that that, that should be what fixes it. And the unfortunate circumstance situation for them there, uh, you know, um, and it would obviously be unfortunate on the flip side for the person involved um, is no one's going to fire an offensive line coach once the season starts. Tom Allen certainly is not going to fire an offensive line coach once the season starts. And if you fire the offensive line coach once the season starts, that's not going to fix the problem anyway. Um, you know, I think if there is a, um, you know, the, the issue isn't just 
like, oh, if you fix a couple, a couple fundamentals, you know, then, then they would suddenly, you know, if, if you just worked more on their punch or something like that, or their initial, you know, just get off or, 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 you know, little fundamental things, um, they just don't have dominant offensive linemen and, you know, they lost their best guy, um, you know, so, you know, at just throwing a new guy in charge right there isn't going to help. It isn't going to fix it. I mean, like you, you could say, all right, well, it's at the end of the day, you know, he is responsible for what he recruited. Um, and you could say, all right, well, you know, the, the results aren't there. He deserves to go. And he might very well at the end of the season. So it's certainly possible. Tom Allen was pretty clear in saying that, you know, he was willing to give it another go. And he, he felt like that they, this line could be successful with Darren Hiller at the helm and with the guys that he's got. And they, they didn't make drastic changes in the offseason. Parker Hanna being the only transfer addition. Um, so, but he, his thing was like, I'm demanding results and I feel like I've gotten response from that. Um, and at this point you have, I, they, they haven't been as atrocious, I think, as the fan base thinks they have been, um, you know, they, they, they weren't terrible against Idaho or against Western Kentucky, uh, but certainly had some bad moments against Cincinnati. So, um, but that I think is where a lot of the frustration comes from is they feel like, the reason that there is not a greater sense of what this offense can do or, or what it should do is because th there isn't good enough blocking to make any of that happen anyway, to, to have any level of consistency. Ergo, you know, they feel like that that should have been addressed by somebody losing their job already. And the fact that it hasn't happened and it will not again happen week to week, it's not going to be a thing that, you know, one bad game is going to lead to uh, a dismissal unless it's just uh, uh, something beyond disastrous. Um, so, you know, that, that I think leads to the frustration is they feel like as, um, you know, armchair coaches, if you will, or whatever, they, 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 they have identified the problem. The problem wasn't fixed and no one is being held accountable for it. Yeah. And I mean, listen, to discuss that offensive line briefly, um, it hasn't been good enough. I think, you know, broadly speaking, people will admit to that and, you know, to your point about Matt Bedford, obviously also Zach Carpenter to some extent. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to see it getting substantially better. Um, I think the issue you have is you need to figure out a way or ways to to mitigate that. And um, that doesn't mean, you know, can Indiana successfully mitigate that? Possibly. That does not mean if Indiana did, that does not mean they would never give up another sack or another tackle for loss. That doesn't mean they would never run, uh, you know, a, 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 a midline dive, read dive on second and eight and lose two yards. Like if you're going to run 85 plays a game, which is what Indiana is averaging right now, um, then guess what? Some of them are going to go backward, but you know, I mean, it, it seems like we've heard more talk of kind of the screen game. We've heard more talk of, I, I thought it was telling maybe more revealing than Al, Tom Allen wanted it to be when he basically rejected the idea that he wants a, a balance between run and pass. I mean, on Saturday he said, and I can like literally find this quote while we're talking. Cause I think I've still got the word document up. Uh, maybe I don't now I'm losing my mind, but I can find it very quickly. And cause I basically, I'm just, I've been making this argument for a very long time. And when he said it, I just thought it said a lot when someone asked him about the run game, he said, it's about being able to create. I wouldn't necessarily say balance. I wouldn't say necessarily balance in regard to even numbers, but the effectiveness has to be there. The threat of the run game. My point is the solution may not just be running the football. 
for Indiana. But it does seem like this is where I go back to the idea that it, I don't know where, if this offense is sure yet where to where its bread is best buttered. Um, alliteration aside. And listen, you can. It's one thing to say, oh, just run more of this or run more of that. Like there are going to be a half dozen reasons that you are you or I aren't privy to that an offensive coordinator will have for saying we can't, you know, this, this player can't do this or this player can't do that or whatever. Um, but it does feel like to some extent between where the offensive line is and also just the fact that injuries are starting to kind of disrupt even the, the, the rhythm and the experience it already had. This is something Indiana is going to have to overcome. Maybe something more than Indiana is going to have to embrace for the rest of the season. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, there's just, um, you know, I, I think they only really have just you know, kind of one trump card player right now, um, you know, especially with DJ Matthews working through some things between his illness last week um, and injury this week. We find out more about that on Monday. It seemed like it was a hamstring, but I don't know if it's that major of a deal. Um, but, you know, they have two decent running backs. They don't have game breaker, you know, like first team all Big Ten, just give them to him, give them the ball, and they'll find a way to make a play. Type guys, you know, Shivers can make a play for you, Henderson can make a play for you, but they're not, they're not Travion Henderson, they're not Mohamed Ibrahim, they're not Tevin Coleman, um, you know, they're they're not. I don't think they're NFL guys. Basically, just just to be short about that, I think they're fine players. They're you know perfectly useful, and, and they can get you yards when you've got a solid line to block for them. They've both made plays, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to either one of them, um, but they're not necessarily game breaker types that that you can give them a ball behind a bad line and they'll find a way to break one loose. Um, and so you know that they don't have a trump card in the running game. Um, the passing game is just okay, and you know they have I think one guy who is playing like an all Big Ten caliber wide receiver. Uh, in Cam Camper and Matthews isn't far off, but you haven't gotten him for all the plays after that. And then there just is not anything else right now that you can point to and say that that that's going to be there. That that you know that guy or or you know again like like you said, I mean like that sort of play, tunnel screens or or you know even vertical passing game in general. Like none none of it works so well to be able to say this will always be there on first down. This will always be there on second down. This will always be there on third down where we're going to be able to rely on this. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, it is not wholly established. Everything doesn't connect. And, you know, again, a part of it starts with not being able to block anything so well that, you know, it's going to work. Um, but you know, there's, there's other pieces to that too. You know, it's just, um, you know, Connor Bazelak has his moments and then he has his moments and you don't have anybody that's, um, you know, just just everything that is a little bit off. There are not players around to to overcome that. Basically, there there's not raw talent around that overcomes stuff being a little bit off. I do think we should like, I guess, just take a moment for Cam Camper, for lack of a better term. Like, and I know you've been um, plugging him for a while. You wrote about him in the yeah. preseason. Um, he's eighth in the country right now in yards per game. Sheesh. Yeah. Um, he's ninth in total yards. He's only got the one touchdown, which is, you know, I mean, that, that can happen sometimes. And again, that maybe also goes back to Indiana, not quite 
knowing where like it's it's bread is buttered, but he's fifth in receptions per game. Again, this is nationally. This isn't um this is nationally. This is this is not in the Big Ten. If you want to go into the Big Ten, um talking about his individual numbers, Camper is third in yards per game. He's third in total yards. You know, his, his yards per catch average is, is always going to be dragged down by the fact that he gets used so much. Um, but he's second behind only Charlie Jones in receptions. And he's almost doubling up Indiana's next best patch ca- pass catcher, DJ Matthews. Now, obviously, Matthews also missed the game Saturday or a lot of the game Saturday because of his injury, whatever it was. Um, Camper's been really good. And he's clearly got the trust of his quarterback, which I think is kind of important. I think that it's it's one thing to be sort of just good with your skills. It's another thing for your quarterback to feel like you were a bailout option. We saw Connor Bazelak do that a couple times on Saturday. We've seen him do it in other games, too. Um, they've got to continue expanding that offense. But, you know, it, it that offense was such, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody who was here a year ago. That offense was such an empty suit last year that you just needed to feel good about, you know, a handful of people this season. And again, like Sean Shivers has flashed some explosiveness at times. You hope DJ Matthews is healthy. Connor Bazelak has been far from perfect, but he's been much better than what Indiana got from its quarterback position at any point last season. Um, but the best guy on that offense, an offense that whatever anyone would like to think is three and one and is, I think, you know, stati- I think, I think Connolly's most likely outcome right now is split between four and five wins. So let's not make them out to be a juggernaut, but like they've gotten the job done at this point, they've gotten the job done to this, you know, to, to this point, um, camper has been the best player. And and that's not just been because of one or two really good performances. He has been consistent across these first four games and against some tough competition. He has been Indiana's biggest threat. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, you you saw him get a little bit quiet against Idaho. There was a clear recognition um, by you know Idaho's defense after after what he did against Illinois in game one. Um, and then I, th- I think there was especially a. Um, response by him, especially in the second half, I think against Western Kentucky and then throughout the Cincinnati game, uh, he has figured out where he has figured out more ways to get open. And I think, uh, again, if, if Indiana has figured out anything at all uh, with its offense so far, it's how to get Cam Camper open um, and, and, and what he is capable of and how he is capable uh, of just getting space and getting separation. Uh, from a quarterback who's guarding him. I mean, I think it's, you, you, you have, you know, he, he can make a lot of plays on sort of in cutting routes, slants and ins and, and, and that kind of stuff and even outs. But um, you know, you can also throw just some comeback stuff to him, some back shoulder stuff. I mean, I think, I think he missed one really good throw from uh Bazelak against uh, Western Kentucky, but I think he, he made some big ones uh, against Cincinnati showing that that's something that's there and that's something they're working on and that they're getting that even when he's kind of being blanketed, um, you know, he can just sort of run somewhere, you know, fake a hitch and, and, you know, fake turnaround and stop um, and, and, and make a, make a catch that way and get some yards and get a first down. Um, so no, I mean, I think he's very much adjusting to the fact that he's 
you know, it's, it's a very swift transition that goes, you know, goes back just to the, the whole, sorry, the whole narrative of his career, you know, Hi, Maxine. Like, Maxine says hello to everybody. Um, you know, I mean, he graduated high school, five foot nine, forgotten member of a pretty talented receiving core uh, down in Texas. A lot of other division one guys were part of it. And, you know, he went to Sam Houston state as a, you know, tried to walk on, didn't work at all. And, you know, went to junior college, got big. And all of a sudden, you know, he's a go-to guy in the big 10 and all this is coming at him really fast. And it, he seems to be adjusting as though it's not even the slightest big of a bit of a big deal. Um, so, but no, it's really impressive just how well he has adjusted to, uh, again, being a target. I mean, this is a guy who was probably playing in front of, I don't know, nobody last year. Um, and, you know, he's, he's on a big 10 stage playing, you know, uh, you know, FBS football being the clear number one target uh, for a Big Ten team uh, and making plays over and over again every week. And he's adjusting the idea that, that he is going to be, you know, at, at this point, the first name on everybody's scouting report. Um, and so it's just really impressive just how fast um, he's picked up what you have to do to be, be successful in that position. Um, briefly on that defense, I, I don't think it's been bad. Obviously, Saturday was its probably its, its worst performance, primarily because of that sort of four-minute meltdown. Um, I, the one thing I do come back to, and listen, I, I think it's, it is worth pointing out that even Saturday, you know, in a game where we feel like maybe that defense isn't quite up to, you know, sort of what you'd expect, I guess, for lack of a better term, Couple sacks, couple tackles for loss, an interception. Um, you know, you, you're still getting great play from like all the guys you would expect: Cam Jones, Aaron Casey, Tywin Mullen, etc. But the one part of this that it did feel like was sort of like, I think I think the phrase I used in our post game video Saturday was like, "Where was Indiana going to make base camp for its climb back up the mountain out of this 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 valley that it sank into in 2021?" You felt like it was with that defense and with that secondary, and with all the experienced players that had kind of committed to coming back. And I think that that you know I don't think it's a panic stations thing. I don't think you should be bothered by the Western Kentucky game. That's what Western Kentucky does. You know, it's just that like if if you're Indiana. And, you know, sorry, you're not Alabama. You don't get to just be like, we don't care what you do. We're going to smother you. If you're Indiana, you've got to be prepared to give up some, you know, some 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 yards and some points in a game like that. I think Cincinnati was the more concerning one. And you were right, too, that Indiana, you know, sort of put its guys on some islands. And hey, listen, every once in a while, even the best cornerback gets beat on an island. I'm not I'm not saying Taiwan Mullins a spent force. It was the wider idea that there were a couple stretches in that game, the 21-point swing, the biggest, you know, the most obvious example, where you just felt like that defense was a little bit overwhelmed in a way that you would not have expected in the preseason when you looked and you said, he's been around forever and he's been around forever and he's an all-Big Ten performer and so is he and so is he. It doesn't feel like Indiana has kind of gotten, you know, close to the level that it its best defenses have had um in the last few years that particularly the most successful years indiana by comparison just as an example indiana is 77th in the country in long scrimmage plays allowed so that's plays of at least 10 plus yards if you want to go back to 2019 they finished 21st in the country in that number and that was that was one of the real 
strengths of, of that defense. Um, and, and some of uh, some of Tom Allen's other teams, I mean, in 2017, which may have been Pat for about his best defense so far in Indiana, Indiana was 10th in the country in, in yards of 10 pl- or excuse me, plays of 10 plus yards allowed. It just feels like this defense has not as much as we talk about the offensive inconsistency. And I think that's, you know, there's probably more glaring issues there. Um, it does not feel like this defense has at least yet been what we expected it would be this season. And if you're an Indiana fan, again, we start, I, I started this off by saying everyone was acting maybe a little bit petulant or a little bit overreactive. If you're an Indiana fan, it's just got some, you know, some, some mild, reasonable concerns. I think this defense is on that list more so than, than maybe we would have expected this time of the year. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, there are definitely some guys that I think you're happy with that that you didn't know how good they were going to be um, in in some elevated positions. I mean, I think Aaron Casey is. You got to feel this thrilled with what you're getting out of Aaron Casey. You got to feel thrilled with what you're getting out of Cam Jones. I think those guys are playing really, really good football uh, at the linebacker spots. That's not to say they don't have any breakdowns, but I mean, they they seem to make. Um, I don't want to say splash plays because that makes you think of offense, but, you know, just this plays where they flash plays where you see them, uh, you know, coming up with TFLs or, or tackles at the line and, 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 you know, areas where you can see them flying around, but, you know, yeah, to, to your point, I mean, you expected, they brought back three guys who were all big 10 uh, defensive backs in 2020. I mean, that's three of the four, obviously Jamar Johnson was part of that group too. And as you've pointed out, you know, Jim, Jim, you could, you know, there's an argument to me that Jamar was the best of them. Um, and even the Taiwan Mullen was the guy that got more of the, uh, individual accolades that year, you know, it's possible that, that they still haven't necessarily found, um, someone who brings it all the way together the way that Jamar did. Um, but they're just, the, the back end just is not coming together as a whole. I think each of them are making some good individual plays and some poor individual plays. Um, but just as a whole, it's not, um, it's just, you know, it, it, it has moments, but it, like it's just not performing great as a unit uh, to the point where you're thinking, okay, this is a this is the clear strength that it ought to be when you have that much experience and that much success so far. It, it's not it's not a unit. You say, okay, well that's that's got to be the best secondary in the Big Ten. It's not not operating that way. It's it's you know had breakdowns in the past. It's had breakdowns against the run. You know, like the guys that you're happiest with so far, um, if you're an Indiana fan, are are not in that secondary. I don't think. Let's talk just briefly. I mean, where Indiana is, they're a quarter way through the season. I think real it, this would have been a realistic expectation for the start of this season. Beat Illinois at home, hold serve against Idaho and Western Kentucky, probably lose to Cincinnati. It's the next four games. You know, it, it I know I'm, I'm almost certain I have used this, this phrase. I think I used it before the Western Kentucky game, the, the old Bob Knight, line about putting yourself in position to put yourself in position these first four games you needed to win three of them to give yourself the platform to say okay you know at minimum we're not going to lose to an illinois at home we're certainly not going to lose to an idaho at home we're not going to lose to a western kentucky at home you know you have you have won the games you needed to win in this stretch to be able to believe that you might be able to 
win enough games to go to a bowl. As we discussed a lot in the offseason and the preseason, the next four games are the ones that you have put yourself in position to be in position. Now you kind of need to win one of the next, well, excuse me, at least two of the next four, which are at Nebraska, Michigan, Maryland, at Rutgers. I would argue Penn State is not unmanageable, though they're a little better than I thought. I would argue Michigan State is worse than I thought, worse than I think a lot of us thought, and may be more manageable, but it is on the road. So you don't, you're probably still in a position where you you you, you don't ideally want to go into November not bowl eligible. You certainly can't go into November any worse than five and three, with the idea that at very least you can take you know the, the possibility of bowl eligibility into that Purdue game. Because guess what? Purdue doesn't look great either. I mean, they flirted with real disaster on Saturday night. They did. Uh, Indiana has done what it needed to do in these first four to put itself in position to make a run at, at, a, at, a, at bull eligibility. And as we talked about on and on, the next you – know, if, if Indiana could get through those first four with an optimal record, then the next four would kind of define the season. And both because Indiana has done that to its credit and also because you haven't seen – the, you know, Nebraska didn't jump up and surprise us. Maryland looks good, but I don't think Indiana can't win that game. And then if you're five and two, when you go to Rutgers, you know, you know what's at stake, you know what you're playing for, et cetera. It is reasonable. I don't know, I don't know if I would say it's likely, but it is reasonable to think Indiana could be bowl eligible or, again, at worst, five and three by the end of October. They've given themselves this platform to make this run. These next four games, starting with Nebraska, they have, they've got to take advantage of it. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska is so huge. I, I think, I mean, like they, they cannot go out there and get stomped. Uh, bigger, but, bigger than Cincinnati like ever was. Yeah. By a long shot. Especially I mean, because, and I, I know that, you know, Indiana fans, I think for Schadenfreude purposes, were hoping Nebraska would, Scott Frost would still be at Nebraska and then right. win. And then Scott Frost buyout would fall on October 1st. And so Indiana would quote unquote fire Scott Frost. Mm-hmm. But, but just because Indiana Cincinnati is better than Nebraska, Indiana has the learned experience of winning at Nebraska. And I'm not sure there aren't some pretty meaningful ways. Indiana isn't a better team than Nebraska. Nebraska was always more important than Cincinnati. Yeah, sure. It, it's, it's not an unwinnable game, you know, Again, you look at the schedule. Cincinnati looked like m- much more unwinnable uh, than than Nebraska. Again, like you know, obviously, I think Indiana would probably be better off if Scott Frost had not yet been fired um, for this game. If 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 there was still a death march going on, and it was more, you know, I mean, I, I imagine them some level. There's a weight off uh, of not worrying anymore or wondering anymore. They're just you know, uh, you know, playing for their interim guy. Um, and so there's probably a lot less drama since the decisions already been made. Um, but all the same, you know, there's still a team that got its coach fired in September. Um, so that can't be great for the old confidence and whatnot. And um, like it's, yeah. it, it, it's Nebraska off a of bye, but you also sort of felt like if there was going to be that response from Nebraska, it would have been Oklahoma and they got yeah. 
completely run out of the room. Right. They had a minute and that was it. You know, they had a drive and then they got obliterated. So um, ultimately, yes, that's what it comes down to is they, you know, like this does not look like a good football team at all. And so the, the question is, you know, again, again, can they go on the road and beat a Big Ten football team at all? You know, obviously they were able to beat a Big Ten football team at home. Can they do it on the road? Um, is sort of the question, you know, this is not a particularly intimidating one, but it's like, you got to show that you can beat somebody at their place. And uh, it's very winnable. It's very do- doable. They have to just, you just sort of go out and do it. Um, but it's an opportunity they can't pass up. It's an opportunity they can't miss. Um, you know, to your point, I mean, I, I still, e- even uh, for all the vulnerability that Purdue and Michigan state have shown, I mean, I think you really want to get them six before you go get it in November. I, I, I think if you're, if you're going to do it, I think you, you really want to get Nebraska, Maryland and Rutgers. I think those are doable. And I think, you know, like you got to look at it as you got to grab them. I don't think you want in a position to have to beat either Michigan state or Purdue, even though, you know, again, Michigan state's definitely worse than what we thought. Purdue might be worse than at least what I thought. Um, but if I, if, if, if you're in Indiana, I, I don't think either one of them want to be in a position where they have to win those games. Yeah, I think I think every win from this point forward for Indiana, if if they are going to genuinely threaten six plus every every game like Nebraska at this point is just a way to take a little bit of pressure off yourself and, and make the journey a little bit more manageable. Um, he's Dustin Pirac. I'm Zach Osterman. I don't know if we've been too positive for you hmm. after the frustration of Cincinnati. I don't know if we've been too negative for you. Uh, after Indiana did win three of its first four games, one season after losing 10 of its 12 overall games. Uh, but what I do know is that the Braves and the Falcons both won today. So you can <laughs> all sit really down and shut up. I'm going to enjoy myself. It doesn't happen <laughs> very often, and I'm going to revel. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. This has been Mind Your Banners for September 25th, 2022. We'll be back toward the end of this week to get you ready for IU at Nebraska. Maybe talk a little hoops, too, because it's probably about time, Dustin. It Uh, is. Dustin Pirac. I'm Zach Gosterman. We'll talk to you soon.